0: You're listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. We'll be listening to one of Luther's sermons today. This sermon was given on the first Sunday in Lent. He's remarking on the text, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This gospel is read today at the beginning of Lent in order to picture before Christians the example of Christ that they may rightly observe Lent has become mere mockery, first because no one can follow this example and fast 40 days and nights as Christ did without eating any food. Christ rather followed the example of Moses who fasted also 40 days and nights when he received the law of God on Mount Sinai. Thus Christ also wished to fast when he was about to bring to us and give expression to the new law. In the second place, late Lent has become mere mockery because our fasting is a perversion, an institution of man. For although Christ did fast forty days, yet there is no word of His that He requires us to do the same as fast as He did. Indeed, He did many other things which He wishes us not to do. But whatever He calls us to do or leave undone, we should see to it that we have His word and support our actions. The worst of all is that we have adopted and practiced fasting as a good work, not to bring our flesh into subjection, but as a meritorious work before God, to atone for our sins and obtain grace. And it is this that has made our fasting a stench so blasphemous and shameful, so that no drinking, eating, no gluttony, drunkenness could have been as bad as and foul. It would have been better had people been drunk day and night than to fast thus. Moreover, if all had gone well and right, so that their fasting had been applied to the mortification of the flesh, but since it was not voluntary, and it was not left to each to do according to their own free will, but was compulsory by virtue of human commandment, they did it unwillingly. And it was all lost and to no purpose. I will not mention the many other evils as the consequences, as that pregnant mothers and their offspring, the sick and the weak, thereby ruined, so that it might be called a fasting of Satan instead of fasting unto holiness. Therefore, we will carefully consider how this gospel teaches us by the example of Christ what true fasting is. The scriptures present us two kinds of true fasting. One, by which we try to bring the flesh into subjection to the spirit, of which St. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 6-5, through in labors and watchings and fastings. The other is, that is which we must bear patiently, yet receive willingly, because our need of poverty, which St. Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 4.11. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst. And Christ, in Matthew 9.15, when the bridegroom shall be taken away from him, then they will fast. This is the kind of fasting Christ teaches us here, while in the wilderness alone, without anything to eat, and while he suffers his uh, penalty without murmuring. First, kind of fasting one can end whenever he wills, could satisfy it by food. But the other kind we must observe and bear until God Himself changes it and satisfies us. Hence, it is much more precious than the first because it moves in greater faith. This is also the reason that the evangelist, with great care, places it first. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness that he might go there fast and be tempted so that no one might imitate his example by their own choice and make it of a selfish, arbitrary, pleasant fasting, but instead wait for the spirit who will send him with it enough fastings and temptations. For whoever, without being led by spirit, wantonly resorts to the danger of hunger or to any temptation, when it is truly a blessing of God that he can eat and drink and have other comforts. tempts God. We should not seek want and temptation, they will surely come of themselves. We ought not then do our best, we ought then do our best and act honestly. The text reads, Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, and not Jesus himself chose to go into the wilderness. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, Romans 8 and 14. God gives his blessing for the purpose that we may use them with thanksgiving, and not that we may let them lie idle, and thus tempt him for he wishes it, forces us to fast by the Spirit, or by need which we cannot avoid. This narrative, however, is written both for instruction and our admonition. First, for instruction that we should know how Christ has served and helped us by his fasting, hunger, temptation, and victory. Also that... Whoever believes on Christ shall never suffer need, and that temptation shall never harm him, but we shall have enough in the midst of what and be safe in the midst of temptation because his Lord and head triumphed all, all of these on our behalf, and of this he is assured, as Christ says in John sixteen thirty three, be of good cheer I have overcome the world. God, who was able to nourish Christ for 40 days without any food, can nourish also his Christians. Secondly, this is written about our admonition, that we may, in the light of this example, also cheer, cheerfully suffer in want in temptation for the service of God, and the good of our neighbor, like Christ did for us, as often as necessity requires it, which is surely accomplished if we learn confess God's word. Therefore, this gospel sweet consolation of power against the unbelief and infamy of the stomach to awaken and strengthen the conscience that we may not be anxious about the nourishment of our bodies, but be assured that he can and will give us our daily bread. But as to how temptation takes place and how it is overcome is all the very beautifully pictured to us here in Christ. First, that he is led up into the wilderness that he is left solitary and alone by God, and angels, and men, and by all creatures. What kind of a temptation would it be if we were not forsaken, stood not alone? It is, however, painful when we do not feel anything that presents it back to us. As, for example, that I should support myself and have not a nickel, not a thread, not a twig. I experience no help from others. No advice is offered. That means... To be led into the desert and to be left alone. There I am in the true school. And I learned what I am, how weak my faith is, how great and rare true faith is, and how deeply unbelief is entrenched in the hearts of all men. But whoever has his purse, cellar, fields fool is not yet led into the desert, neither is he left alone. Therefore he's not conscious of temptation. Secondly, the tempter came forward, and attack Christ with the very same cares of food for the body. And with unbelief in the goodness of God, it said, If thou art the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, as if he should say, Yes, trust thou in God, and bake and cook nothing. Only wait patiently until a roasted fowl flies into your mouth. Do you now say that you have a God who cares for you? Where is now your heavenly Father who has charge of you? Yea, it seems to me he lets you in a fine condition. Eat now and drink from your faith. Let us see how you will satisfy your hunger when you have stones for bread. What a fine son of God you are. How fatherly he is disposed towards you. And that he fails to send you a slice of bread and permit you to be so poor and needy. Do you now continue to believe that you are his son and he is your father? With like thoughts he truly attacks all children of God. And Christ surely felt his temptation, for he was no stock nor stone, although he was, and remained pure without sin, as we cannot do. Then Satan attacked Christ with the cares for daily food, or with unbelief and avarice. Christ's answer proves in that he says, Man shall not live by bread alone. It sounds as if he said, Thou wilt direct me to bread alone. Thus treat me as though I thought of nothing but the substance of my body. This temptation is very common also among pious people. They especially feel it keenly, who have children and a family, have nothing to eat. Therefore, St. Paul says in First Timothy 6, that avarice is the root of all kind of evil, for it is a fruit of unbelief. Do you not think that unbelief, care, avarice, are reasons people are afraid to enter married life? Why do people avoid it, and live in unchastity, lest it be fear that they must die of hunger and suffer want? But here we should consider Christ's work and example, who suffered want forty days and nights, and finally was not forsaken, but was ministered to even by angels. Thirdly, behold how Christ resists this temptation of bread and overcomes. He sees nothing but stones and what is uneatable, that he approaches and clings to the word of God, Strengthens himself by it, and strikes the devil to the ground with it. This saying, all Christians should lay hold of when they see that there is a lack and want, and everything has become stones, so that the courage trembles, and they should say, What were it if the whole world were full of bread? Still, man does not live by bread alone. More belongs to life, daily, the Word of God. The words, however, are so beautiful and powerful that we must not pass over them lightly carefully explain them. These words Christ quotes from Deuteronomy eight three, where Moses says Thy God humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee, the man doth not live by bread only. By everything that proceedeth out of the mouth of Jehovah doth man live. That is as much as to say, since God permits you to hunger, you still continue to live. You ought to agree, indeed grasp the thought that God nourishes you without bread through his word. For if you should live and sustain yourself by bread alone, then you must continually be full of bread. But the word that nourishes us is that he promises us and causes it to be published that he is our God and desires to be our God. Thus now, the meaning of Moses and Christ is, whoever was here, God's word, and believes, has both blessings. The first, where he is in one and has nothing but must suffer hunger, that the word will sustain him, so that he will not die of hunger nor perish, just as well as if he had abundance to eat. The word has in his heart nourishes, sustains him without eating and drinking. Has he little to eat, that a bite or a slice of bread will feed and nourish him like a kingly meal? For not only the bread, but the word of God, also nourishes the body naturally, as it creates and upholds all things. Hebrews 1, three. The other blessing that he will enjoy, namely that the finally the bread will surely be at hand, come whence it will, should it rain from heaven like manna, where none grows and none can grow. These two thoughts every person can freely trust namely that he must in time of hunger receive bread or something to eat, or if he not, then his hunger must become so moderate and bearable that it will nourish him even as well as the bread does. What has been said of eating and feeding the body should be understood also of drinking, clothing, house, and all our needs, namely that although he still permits us to become naked and suffer want for clothing or house, clothing must finally be in hand, before it fails the leaves of the trees must become coats and mantles, if it not, then the coats and the garments that we wear must never grow old, just as happens in the children of Israel in the desert. Likewise, the wild wilderness must become their houses, and there must be a way where there is no way, and water where there is no water. stones must become water. For here stands God's word, which he says, He cares for you. St. Paul in First Timothy six seventeen God giveth us richly all things to enjoy, Matthew six thirty three through thirty four, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Ye not therefore anxious for tomorrow. These like words must continue, stand, and just continue true, and stand firm forever. All this one may indeed learn from his own daily experiences, for it is held, and I almost believe it. There are not many and not as many sheaves of wheat grown as there are people living on the earth, but God daily blesses and increases the wheat in the sack, the flour in the tray, and the bread on the table, and in the mouth, as Christ did. It's noticeable that a, as a rule, poor people and their children are fatter, and their food riches farther, agrees with them better than is the case among the rich with all their provisions. However, that the godless at times suffer need, or in times of famine, many die of hunger. It's caused by the special plague of pestilence, war, etc. In other ways, we see that in all things, it is not the food, the word of God, that nourishes every human being. Now that God sustains all mankind by bread, and not by word alone, without bread is done to the end. And he conceals his work in the word, world in order to exercise believers. This is he commanded the children of Israel to arm themselves in the fight, yet it was not his pleasure that victors should come through their own sword and deeds, but he himself had was to slay their enemies and triumph with their swords through their deeds. Here it might also be said the warrior was not victorious through his sword alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. As David sings in Psalm 44, and 6, For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety, yet he uses a man and a horse, the sword and the bow, but not because of the strength the power of the man or of the horse, but under the veil and covering of man and the horse, he fights and does all. This he proves, and that he often did, and daily does the same without man and a horse, where there is need and he is not tempted. Thus he does also with the bread, since it is at hand, he nourishes us through it by means of it, so that we do not see it and we think that the bread does it. But where it is not at hand, there he nourishes us without the bread, only through the word, as he does by the means of the bread. So that thus the bread is God's helper, we are God's fellow workers, that is, through and under. Our outward ministerial office, he gives us inwardly his grace, which he also could give and does give indeed without our office. Since the office is at hand, one should not despise it nor tempt God. Thus God sustains us outwardly by bread, but only inwardly he gives that growth and permanency which the bread cannot give. And the summary is all creatures are gods and larvae. Mummery, which he permits to work with him and to help to do everything that he can do and does do otherwise without their cooperation, in order that we may cleave alone to his word. Thus, if the bread is at hand, that we do not therefore trust the more, or if there is no bread present, that we do not therefore despair the more, but use it when it is at hand, and do without it when there is none, being assured that we shall still live and be sustained by both times, God's word, whether there be bread or no bread. With such faith, one overcomes avarice and temporal care for daily bread in the right way. This has been the words of Martin Luther given on the first Sunday of Lent. Thank you for listening to Voices of Church Past. I have been your host, Bob Bart. Thank you for listening.